you're still listening to the Film to Canada podcast. We're a podcast about Canadian movies. I'm William Lee. And I'm Alexander Cairns. Uh, we have a special guest in the room. Uh, it's, uh, it's Corbin Salkin. Sorry, did I say that right? Yep, you did. Correct. Um, you're credited uh, on, pa- on Patterson's Wager as the writer, director, editor of that film. as Producer well, as well. Yes. As, as O. Corbin yes. Salkin. What's the O stand for? It stands for Oliver. So is, my, is, is Corbin your middle name? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For whatever reason, my parents called me Oliver and then immediately started calling me by my second name. Yeah. Oh. I think somebody said to them, Oliver? And that was all it took, and then they just went to Corbin. Nice. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure where we're dropping this in, um, this segment, um, this bonus interview segment. I'm not sure we'll attach to the, uh, to the talk when, we, when Alexander and I were talking about pa- Patterson's Wager or if we'll have it some bonus content elsewhere. But uh, we wanted to uh, uh, take this opportunity to talk to Corbin about what it's like to be a f- an independent filmmaker in Canada, um, and uh, specifically his experience making Patterson's Wager. Sure. Great. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I don't recall, you've, you were on the podcast on the NFB Shorts episode that we did. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I feel like we kind of briefly introduced your film there. But, or no, actually, you know what? It was our first anniversary podcast that we did last november mm-hmm. we called you up and just said hey you know like what if you were to come back on what would you want to talk about and i think you had mentioned um i think you had mentioned strange brew but we ended up doing that with yeah probably hardcore logo too <laughs> yeah yeah um we also had a brief back and forth about you know your insights in distributing yeah a movie in canada especially distributing it on your own so maybe you could walk us through that process what what how the decision came about that you were going to do that or if that was the only option. Sure. I actually have a distributor, so I'm not doing right. it. On, right, right, right. But um, I thought you said that you were printing the DVDs yourself. Yeah, no, I'm doing the DVDs. I'm doing my own. That was a deal that I made with my distributor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a really tough decision to make because at the time, I mean, kind of back up with independent film. There's it's it's a it's this weird time where everybody can make a movie. Um, and you can put a, put a movie out there so everyone has access to it, but that just means that there's just thousands and thousands of movies out there, and nobody knows about them. And so it's this, it's this great time. It's also this difficult time because the, the actual places to, to make money are, have diminished greatly. Thanks, you know, Blockbuster going under. Like, that used to be kind of one of these guaranteed revenue sources where if you sold your movie to Blockbuster, just imagine that every Blockbuster in the city had one copy of your DVD. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of money. So do you know if at the time was that, was that like a gross sale at the, at the outset or would you make a, a royalty off of each rental? Or? No, you would actually, no, you would actually, yeah, it would be a gross sale. Yeah. Cause they had these big, I used to work at a video store and they had these big catalogs that you'd get with all the movies in them that would come out. And so yeah, the people would order the movies from, yeah. So you just, you just get the money right off the bat for right. that. So that was, and that's the thing with a lot of independent film now is that, there are only a few places that will give you money up front. Yeah. So, like Netflix, you get some money up front, or a broadcast sale. Yeah. You get you get money up front, but iTunes and all the other stuff is. But you still get you still get residuals off Netflix, though. Yeah. I don't think my understanding is no, but oh, okay. I, I mean Patterson's Wager, Netflix didn't want it. Right. So I don't know, but I think they just pay you up front. So right now, kind of the the best case scenario for independent film is essentially maybe you you get into Sundance or one of these big festivals, and then a, and then a distributor comes and buys it off you, 
right now, Netflix and Amazon are, they're kind of buying a lot of stuff because they have the two channels. And so yeah. they're, they just need content. Yeah. And so at Sundance, they were buying, they were spending a lot of money. Uh, Amazon um, at South by Southwest, I think they bought like the top 30 films. Like wow. Or 50 films. They bought a lot of movies out of there. Yeah. I can't substantiate this because it was just like I heard it uh, repeated on, on some uh, websites and podcasts. But mm-hmm. I I heard that a strategy Netflix or Amazon was doing at Film Fest was they wanted, they would offer to buy the films that didn't get a distributor. Uh, they would make an offer to buy it for cheaper. Yeah. I think I've heard that too. Like there's there's all these, yeah, there's all these different things like that. I mean, one thing with Netflix, what Netflix does though, is if they buy it, it only goes on Netflix. Yeah. They've done if if they if they think one of the films has any Oscar chances, they'll do a limited release. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, there was that one about the African. But I think that was Warlords with through Netflix. Elba. Like it wasn't picked up after. Right. So Netflix actually funded that. Okay. So that's the difference. Like I think. And then there was that one, the Square. That uh, it was a documentary about the uh, the um, whatever crisis is going on in Egypt oh, okay. over the past few years. That got nominated for an Oscar, and so I know it got right. But yeah, for the most part, none of them are getting any theatrical release. Yeah, yet. so that's this this thing. Like, there's that. Um, I do not feel. I, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I think it's, it won the grand jury prize at Sundance. Netflix bought it. Shows up on Netflix two months later. But that's all. Like, doesn't get any theatrical. It's just kind of dumped on Netflix. And you know, as, as a filmmaker personally, you know, if I'm going to spend three years working on an independent film, the last thing you know, I don't want. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to have that. You know, you get a big pile of money. Yeah. But then it's nobody really sees it. Yeah. You don't get to tour it around. And so that, that essentially that's kind of the, the best case scenario is that a distributor, you get into one of these top festivals that has a market attached, a distributor comes and buys it, and then you get a big pile of money. Then the kind of the next one down is that a distributor comes along, they'll offer you what's called an MG, which is a minimum guarantee. Yeah. So they'll offer you maybe $100,000 or a million or, I don't know, $50,000. Yeah. And often that's the only money you'll get but it means you actually get money. And if they put some money into it... And that that's for a theatrical release? It's for... It could be anything. Oh, okay. Like some people... Because theatricals are a lot... It's really difficult now. Yeah. So that can just be like a VOD, right. um, whatever. And then there's sort of the, the deal which I have is that I don't get any um, money up front, but then I, I get... My distributor gets a cut and he kind of handles stuff. And so I was... When I had finished the film, that was my... It was, go back to that it was it was a really tough decision i I was left with this film which i kind of it's my first feature so i vaguely knew how to make a a film i made some shorts so that was kind of the easy part making the feature more or less and then it was just now what do i do with it now that it's done so i was really i the the options where i could self-distribute it or i could try to find a distributor to pick it up and there were a couple of distributors that i talked to a few and then two of them gave me offers and then I went with this um, Abby Fedegreen from IndyCan. He's a guy, he's a producer. He produced um, uh, One Week. Okay. And he's done a whole bunch of stuff, like uh, how to how to uh, stage an orgy in a small town like that. So he's, he's, a, he's a well-known producer in Toronto, and he's got sort of an independent uh, distribution company because he's just, he's been screwed over so many times. He was tired of seeing that happen. He wanted to help get Canadian films out there. So he took up my film and... Yeah, and basically, so then it, it, it's on it's on iTunes and Amazon, uh, like VHS, VHX, and Vimeo. And I know being trying to get a broadcast sale is tough because in Canada, there's basically only Super Channel or or Movie Central. Movie Central will not take a movie wh- whose budget is less than a, a million dollars, which really? is kind of a weird, arbitrary thing. But they just won't really look at it. So 
Interesting. That's their way of, of establishing some kind of standard of I quality. Guess. I guess, yeah. yeah. Oh, so. so then your distributor is looking at what channels to get it out for them. Yeah, yeah. He's trying, you know, he's, so he's approaching places and, you know, right now, it's, it's just tough to get it out there. But right now, it's, like it's on Amazon. And then, as Alexander says, and then I made it, I made it a sort of a deal, having read all the stuff about distribution. So I, I made a deal that, in my contract, I have the right to sell DVDs from my own website. Oh. And that's actually where I've made, made the most money. I okay. actually sell my own DVDs. And I, I, I sold one. You're a regular Neil Breen. I guess. I don't know who that is. but <laughs> he's, he's this lunatic down in L.A. that's like an architect, but he's made these independent movies, and oh. they're awful. It's one called Fateful Findings. Okay. Um, I've watched some of them with, with Devin and Or we watched Fateful Findings with yeah. uh, Devin and Will that you know. And, um, yeah, he, he releases them on his website. But it's like you you request a DVD, you pay for a DVD, and they just like don't even show. <laughs> <laughs> See, my DVDs you will get if you go to Patterson'sWager.com. You you will get. I guarantee you will get the DVD. But do you know the Flophouse podcast? No. Okay, it's like a bad movie podcast, and okay. they talked about this one, Faithful Findings, and the guy talked about how they were going to do this movie. He ordered the DVD and never came. And then just by chance, one of their listeners happened to send it to their PO box. So they so they got it at the same time that they were going to record the episode. That's bizarre. Oh, well. Yeah. So Corbin, when you uh, when you had Patterson's Wager finished, yep. um, like did you did you have a chance to take it on the festival circuit? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And was, was that just uh, within North America, or did you go overseas? Uh, it was just North America. I mean, I, I, I applied to festivals overseas, but I didn't get into any. Mm. So it mm. did. I would say it was kind of a moderate, modicum, moderate success. I, I'm happy with. I mean, at, at being an independent filmmaker, the thing you're constantly doing is readjusting your definition of success. Mm-hmm. It's this constant readjustment. Um, but for me, it really was, it was the film I wanted to make. It was exactly the film. So for me, when it, when it was done, it was sort of, this is, this, that, that was the success for me, having, having done it and having made a film that, like I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to do another one. If I don't, that's okay, because this is the one I wanted to make. So I'm, that was good. Then anything after that was kind of like the cherry on the top. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I did. I went to a bunch of festivals. I went to, it premiered it in Winnipeg at the uh, Winnipeg Real Independent Film Festival. That mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Um, I've been there a couple of times. Got to skate on the river because <laughs> it's in November. I went to Hawaii with it. Uh, it was at Whistler. But the Whistler one was kind of a backdoor because I got rejected the first year I submitted. And it was only through my distributor um, that he, once I signed with him, he contacted the head programmer there and just said you know that i know this didn't get in the previous year uh if you're looking for some bc content maybe you'd have another look at it and the guy hadn't actually seen it but for whatever however that chain is yeah. he, it never got to him and he watched it and he got back to us right away and said absolutely i wish this and when i t- spoke to him when i was up at whistler and he said i wish you know this had been in the previous year yeah, yeah. i don't know why it didn't get in and that's sort of this weird thing about festivals is and and you were in uh daniel's Festival, yes, right? Moonrise. Yeah, yeah, that was that was so much fun of yeah. Wells, BC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny to see him as the uh, the yeah. great 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 grandfather. He's he's a too. good actor. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. Um, Daniel Jeffrey. I don't I don't think you've met Daniel, but he's uh, he's uh, a friend of of Devin's that we've had on the podcast as well, and obviously a friend of yours if he yeah. was well, in I, your movie. I, SFU. That's yeah. where from Simon Fraser. Like, I think eighty five percent of the cast and crew was from Simon Fraser University. Yeah. When William and I talked about the movie 
uh, before you got here. And um, I guess what, like the, the thing I like about it the most in terms of it being an independent Canadian film is just that the script has a focus to it <laughs> because that was a conscious choice. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the smaller movies that, that I've seen either at festivals or, or for this podcast or whatever, it, it feels like the, the plot just kind of meanders and it's, and it's just about, you know, relationships and love and whatever. But, um, your, your movie has has a, a deliberate structure to it and uh you know plot reveals and um converging timelines and all of these things that actually come together and don't just feel like there's a bunch of loose ends by the end of it so um what was the when you were writing the script like how, how did you kind of combine the two what i what i would call like the fantastical elements of the mm-hmm. movie you've got the the seeing into the future but then you've also got this bigfoot thing Mm -hmm. like how did how did those two ideas come together and how did you see them having um thematic resonances with each other right right uh well one thing i'll say is the um oh what's that violent do you know do you know that film yeah yeah because i i went i saw that recently at sfu and the, the filmmakers were there and they quoted this often um, use quote about filmmaking, which is that you have like your entire lifetime to make your first film, and then you have like five years to make your second, or like two months, or whatever. And the idea is that basically, with your first film, you pour everything into it. So all your all these ideas that have been percolating for years, and that's really with Patterson's Wager was that thing. And as I mentioned before, you know, I didn't know if I was going to get to make another one, so I was very conscious of making sure, you know, that I, I wanted to be able to say all the things I wanted to say with this one, if that is the only one I get to make. Yeah. So the main story about the guy you can see two minutes into the future, that was based on a short story that I'd written, I don't know, like now, probably six, seven years ago. And at the time, it was just because, you know, writing a script is, a script is not really anything. It's this blueprint for something that might happen in the future, but it's this unfinished product. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I had this idea about the guy you can see two minutes in the future, and I thought, well, I, I'm going to write it as a short story because a short story is a thing. Like, that's, it's a final it's a finished product. And then I, I can't remember, I just decided to start writing that out as, as in script form a number of years later. And then I had this other idea about this family who uh, who believed in Bigfoot and they, their idea of preserving Bigfoot was to make everyone else think that Bigfoot was a hoax, to perpetuate the hoax of Bigfoot. And then I kind of wrote those two things. And I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil my own movie. Right, right. But it was just sort of during the writing process, I saw how those things were connected. And it wasn't until I was actually writing them that I realized like, I didn't. I never do treatments or outlines or anything like that. And it's right. just through writing, I was like, oh, yeah, well, that that can... And then, yeah, and then I had the ending, and it just sort of everything kind of flowed from there, I guess. Right. Which makes no sense to people who haven't seen the movie, but <laughs> you, can, you just have to see the movie. There you go. You just have to rent it. Easily available on uh, yes. iTunes. Yeah, it's on iTunes. Yeah. Do you make more money if someone rents it or buys it? Uh, I guess it would be buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I, th- I thought I had heard from somewhere that I think why well, the, the residual really the residual on the rental is actually higher. Oh, it might be. Yeah. I don't know. Or most money is if you buy a DVD. There's a special edition yeah. DVD, <laughs> which I put together as commentary and all this bunch of other stuff. Nice. So is it Blu-ray or DVD? It's it's DVD. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you con- I I can do a Blu-ray, but that's kind of a Send me an email and then we'll oh, okay. work it out. Wow. Yeah, so very, yeah. very special order products. Yes, so. yes. Yeah. And how are you printing the DVDs? 
I'm just I'm doing it at home. Yeah. Yeah. You, but so, but do, you, do you have like a slip cover and all that? Or? Yep. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's it's professional. It looks like a real. Well, does I see one over there? There you go. See, there it is. See, I sold one to the Vancouver Public Library, and actually, the I got, I was contacted by a library wholesaler in Canada who bought uh, sixty copies of it, so they're oh. putting it in libraries across Canada. So, is that an illustration on the front? No. Alexander is now uh, holding a DVD cover in his hand. Yes, the special <laughs> edition. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a big hard media guy. I love my yeah. hard media, so. I wanted to make a DVD that I would want to buy. And like one thing about commentary is one of the things that seems to have gone, there's not as many commentaries out there anymore in DVDs. Mm. It really seems like the way that physical media is going is, mm -hmm. is on the decline. Um, it has been for a while, but do you... Although, although there's the iTunes extras. Oh, you, they have stuff there? Yeah, okay. so oh. yeah, see, there are special features through iTunes. Okay. I don't know if you've tried no. to submit that or anything for yours, but sorry, I think I cut you off. Oh, I was just I was just like commenting about uh, I mean I, I like physical media too yeah um, and it's just uh, I worry that it'll get to the point where um, you know, nobody wants to buy physical media mm -hmm. and uh, that'd be unfortunate um, but I mean because you're doing your DVDs yourself is yeah. it because your your distributor has no interest in yeah in he marketing? didn't see any and I this way I can control it I can print them sort of on demand uh -huh. and then it's just it's just cheaper for me to do it that way right rather than getting like uh, 5,000 things printed yeah, yeah. exactly and then it's right. got a box full of these these DVDs right so um, I do appreciate that the, the currently the public libraries still stock physical media yeah um, no, it's great I get so many things from the library too I, I don't know like, for example, I don't know if it's kind of if it's reached a uh, a balance now with physical media because I, you know, there is still like Criterion is pumping out. Like, it seems to be they're doing a lot of great Screen stuff. Factory. Yeah, Screen Factory's Factory. got amazing stuff. So there's yeah. a lot of, I don't know, I think it's probably, maybe there's not more people coming to it, but I think the people who are there, it's. Videomatica still exists yeah. for the time being. But it seems like it's just, it's just going to be more of a niche market eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. it already is, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, even you go to Best Buy and no, they there's hardly anything barely there. stock anything anymore. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a tough thing. I mean that we're, I was talking, you know, in the hardcore logo thing, we were talking about just about marketing. I mean that's that's ultimately the big. That's the big thing. It's like if you have some, you have the greatest thing in the world, but if nobody knows that it exists, it may as well not exist. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, where there's so much stuff out there, I mean we're we're at peak everything. Mm -hmm. I mean I just look at I was talking to someone the other day. Just I was listening on TV or as a radio, and they they had some they referenced Seinfeld in some way, and I was thinking about back when Seinfeld was on, where everybody was watching Seinfeld at the time. Yeah. And but now everybody's kind of watching their own. There's just these pockets of people watching their own thing, so there is yeah. no group experience in the same way. I mean, there's a few things, but there's still not as many people are watching that one thing as they used to because yeah. there's just so many things out there well even even like the I, I i didn't experience it at the time but from what i've heard about twin peaks it was like a cultural phenomenon yep. at the time and it's like now they have this they have this revival series and it seems like people are watching it but mm -hmm. it's not as if people are going insane over it no i mean i've no. watched the first two i've got the rest of my pvr but they're just you yeah. watch it on your own time yeah we don't yeah. have to watch it so that we can get back to the office yeah. and, and talk about it with our yeah. I mean, game of thrones yeah. i think is one of those ones that people yeah. do because nobody wants to be spoiled <laughs> so that maybe that's no one, no one wants to discover out of timeline who gets mur murdered or raped exactly you want to watch that in as it's unfolding so really, you can collectively enjoy that i really do not like that show uh Corbin, as your own producer on the on on Patterson's Wager, mm -hmm. um, and and uh, I have to admit that I'm kind of uh, coming to it 
uh, without any like first-hand knowledge of, of putting together a movie. Yeah. But um, as you're trying to work out what your what the budget is that you're working with, um, did you do you have a number in mind that you're aiming to uh, to get that those funds in place before you start, or do you or do you just you just go and see what you can get later in terms of? Like, well, I funded it all myself, yeah. so it's all my own money. So it's just basically how much money I was willing to spend. I mean, I started out in my mind. I kind of said just to make myself. I guess, uh, okay with spending money. I said, okay, I want to spend $20,000, $25,000 tops. That was just, I had to give myself that number in my head. And that, you know, that was totally unrealistic. I kind of <laughs> knew it at the time, but it was just sort of, if I didn't sort of start there, then I wouldn't be able to go for it. I mean, in the end it was, it was $51,000, the whole thing, hmm. which is, it's, I mean, it's a lot cause it's my own money, but as far as an independent film, it's, it's not that much. And I mean, I like to think that it doesn't look like, a $51,000 movie. I was very conscious yeah. when I was making it that there were a bunch of things, like you're talking about the script, like I didn't want it to be this kind of loosey uh, indie film. I didn't want there to be any handheld. I wanted right. every shot to actually... Except, except for the the TV interview. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> except for where it actually makes sense for the yeah, story. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it just wasn't, because I mean, to me, the handheld in indie film, it's just like you just didn't have to take the time to figure out what the scene was about. Yeah. You just sort of, okay, we'll just do it. We'll just capture what happens. And I just... And I mean, I shot the thing in 12 and a half days. And so that was the way I did that was that every shot was planned out and I wasn't getting coverage I didn't need. I just right. sort of, I need that close up there. I don't need close-ups at the beginning of the f- shot. I'm not going to get it. So that was a way to kind of make it look sort of, so that all the, so to maintain this production value and then getting the best locations I could have. And, and there's certain locations that just kind of lift it up like the, like the casino, which. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So did you, did you have to pay for that or? I did, but it was only, I think we paid 600 bucks. Yeah. So that was, that's and, chances of being Squamish. Yeah, okay, it was, yeah. Um, so was it just the first establishing shot that was in that casino or, or were at the tables? No, everything. You, yep. Oh, everything, okay. Yep. But, but it looked like you were using generic chips, though. Yeah, no, the actual, see, what chances does not have, it only has slot machines. It doesn't right. have games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to bring those in. I had to truck those in from Coquitlam. Which costs like twelve hundred dollars to bring. So it cost me six hundred bucks to get access to this casino for the entire night. Yeah. But the actual table, the blackjack tables, and the roulette wheel was twelve hundred dollars. Oh wow! <laughs> and I, I only had them for I think three hours too. The tables. Yeah. Oh wow. have, Yeah. So yeah, those are kind of the. But and, and, the they, other and thing, they provided you with the chips as well. Yeah. So yeah. that's just and the other to mention like this is one of these maybe the producing thing the independent stuff is that. Uh, I had to get clearance for all those slot machines. Like that's one of the things when you're making a film is that every trademarked whatever you have to clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to. There are seven game manufacturers in the casino that I had to call around to their head offices, and because I was doing all that myself too, <laughs> I had to call down to you know, like Vegas or wherever their head office was and ask like Bally or Konami if I could, if they were okay if I showed their game in the background. Oh, okay. So like, and that all had to be done before we got in there because yeah. I had to know which ones I was allowed. To show. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it mostly just people said go for it? Or did yeah. they say we want a fee? There was one company that wanted a fee and I just said no. And then so I just didn't sh- show those ones. And mm-hmm. one of them they couldn't clear because they were sort of, they were licensing. Like it was say, I don't know, like uh, like you say a Game of Thrones game. So they just bought the license to use Game of Thrones, but they can't authorize me to use Game of Thrones. Right, right, right. So that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, and that was one thing. As a producer going around and... I think partly because I like to think that the way I asked for things was people wanted to say yes. 
because I think that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Is that I, I I went into every situation just imagining that people just want to say yes. They just want to be asked. They want to give them the, the excuse to say yes. And so yeah. I approach it that way. And then also because I was funding it myself, I think people were more open to saying yes. But like all the actors, all the actors were, those were all my first choice. We went directly to them and they all just, they read the script and they, some of them didn't even read the script. They just said yes. So like Fred, you want he, yeah, he, uh, he said yes. I think we contacted him on like a Tuesday. I sent him my previous short film and he read the script. I think we met that Saturday and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Um, at some of the other location shooting when you're, um, he sees the premonition of the of the bus accident. Yeah, and then you're you're on Sixteenth and wherever whatever intersection that is. Yeah, I think it's like Burrard. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So did you did you have to get a permit to to yep. shoot that? Yeah. Yeah, because you were outside of the car. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it was it's this street where at the end of Burrard where Burrard meets Sixteenth, it kind of goes into this residential area. So you can't go into it. You can kind of come out of it. So it's this perfect little area. Dead end. Yeah. Yeah. That looks. Burrard. Like right by Shaughnessy. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're coming through I, I Shaughnessy. Was thinking, I was thinking of Fur because Fur has a lot more traffic. Going yeah, on. yeah. So this was kind of this perfect little area that yeah, I got permit for that. But most, yeah, I mean, like there's a scene where they're they're at the beach where they drive into the beach at night, and I to actually shoot at the beach at night it was going to cost them like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars from the park sport. Even though they never even got back to me, this is really annoying. I, I contacted <laughs> them so many times and they just never got back to me, and because I would have to have had to, you know, to run generators and stuff at night. I'd have to have like a parks board guy there the whole time. And it was yeah. going to be this huge hassle. So we just did gorilla. We just put the camera in the backseat as they drove in. And then all the reverse of the matching in the car was shot at a completely different location on, right. on mm-hmm. another day. So those are kind of the things that you know, I'm always kind of, but I also wanted to maximize the production value. So I, I didn't want to shoot everything. Cause one of the things you read in these indie mags, how do you make a, a feature in, in, in two weeks or whatever you, you get four people in two locations like that's kind of the things the typical way to do it mm-hmm. you just have one location and you shoot it and i didn't want that because i think there's i think there's 19 locations in patterson's wager yeah. so there's a lot and I, I wanted again i didn't want it to look like that kind of an indie yeah so like we shot a scene at jolly's indian bistro which is one of my favorite indian restaurants and i just went to the guy because i know him because i eat there all the time and say like, can we shoot here he's like yeah sure <laughs> and then on the day we actually I called them a couple. That's, that's when they're on the date? Yeah. Yeah. And on the day when we were going to shoot that scene, I had, I called them a couple hours before after sending them emails and everything. And I called them and said, oh, oh, that's today? <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we're going to be there in two hours. <laughs> but he's like, oh, okay. I think he had like a water main burst at some point. So he was kind of, but anyway, he just let us, he just left and just let us shoot there. So nice. yeah, people were, people were pretty amazing. What about with like uh, you mentioned the parks board or uh, municipal governments? Like, yeah. do they do they treat independent filmmakers differently than if um, if like uh, like Supergirl or something wants to shoot? Will they yeah. treat you differently? Well, I I maybe that's why they didn't get back to me for the parks board because uh. it's just a weird. I don't know why it was it was really weird because it was just I was legitimately you know and they yeah. just never responded. But the actual Vancouver whatever the where I got the permit to shoot on the road. I mean they they I think they probably treated me just as well as. Anyone else? Yeah, mm. uh, I remember Devin and Will when I when when we were talking to them, or I guess that was just me talking to them. But um, their short lifeguard, have you seen that? Yep. Yeah. So I remember I remember Devin saying that um, 
in order to they, they did get permits but they got permits as a documentary crew because it was small enough because oh, okay. they didn't have lighting and all this stuff but i remember there, there's a particular shot where the lifeguard has to run in to save a to save a young girl and it and it's and it's shot as um it's quite wide it's like mm-hmm. from from probably a couple hundred yards away or whatever and he said that they did that because otherwise they would have needed um, permission to get cameras onto the beach and and that would have uh, cost way more money but it also resulted in a really cool shot mm-hmm. um so yeah i think i think there are certain hierarchies or certain yeah. or different categories of, of, of things that, that, that yeah, yeah yeah and and depending on how many people you have in the crew and what sort of safety precautions right. are required or whatever yeah. oh yeah like on the street where i didn't need you know i i i can't i think it was only about 150 bucks maybe 200 dollars to get the permit but that was you know, if I wanted to actually block off the street or actually, because the car needed to park in a certain spot, and if I wanted to actually reserve those spots to see, that probably would be another $200. Right, and I right, just right. was like, no, I'm just going to risk that no one's going to be parking in that spot. And no one was. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I would have done if there would be a bunch of cars there. Yeah. Um, and That's so funny. stuff like that, like if I wanted to use a generator or if you want to put stuff on the side, like all those yeah, kind of yeah, things, yeah. they add on. Hmm. And so I, I kind of kept it as, as minimal as I needed. Um, Alexander and I, before we uh, we met with you, we were, we said we were going to promise not to uh, ask the boring questions that you would get at a film festival. <laughs> but I, but I think unavoidably we ask about money. Yeah. Um, is that is that like the most common thing people ask at a film festival Q and A? Is they ask about the money for a, yeah? For an often. I mean, movie? I mean, I know that as a filmmaker, that it's the thing that I'm always really curious about when I hmm. see if you, like, I want to know, I want to know how much. And I know that filmmakers that have talked to me afterwards, they always want to know how much yeah. it costs. Hmm. But most people won't tell you. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem saying it costs $51,000, $51,600 to be exact. But a lot of filmmakers won't give the budget. And one of the reasons is also for distribution is that distributors don't want you to know because it creates a, an impression in people's minds. And then you also, like when you go to a distributor, you always have to tell them it costs more than it did. Like there's all these weird, because then well, if they say, well, if it only costs you $50,000, then, you know, this is how much I'm going to ch- I'm willing to offer you. So yeah, there's yeah, all yeah. these little things. So sometimes you have to inflate or you add on like the deferrals. Like if this film with the deferrals, like if, if all the actors that you got paid their actual regular wages, this would, I mean, this could have easily been $250,000. Right. Just if every, I mean, the crew didn't get paid. If the crew actually got paid their wages, it would have been, you know, so I could say, well, actually, that's how much, but, it, you know, that's not how much it costs. But that, I, I don't mind answering that question because, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, I'm curious about it myself all the mm-hmm. time. Okay. But that's a good point. Like the, the, the cost to you is different from the value that was put into it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to me, I mean, I don't mind answering it just as a matter of curiosity, but just it's that thing where if you know, like we were talking with the hardcore logo thing, we were talking about like having Spinal Tap as a reference before going into it, you're expecting a certain type of thing. Mm-hmm. If you hear $50,000 feature, you're expecting a certain type of thing. Right. And I would rather people watch the movie and then, well, I mean, obviously I'd love it if they thought, wow, this movie costs like $2 million. I don't know. <laughs> and it could. I mean, it could easily have cost, like, get out $4 million. Yeah, like, yeah. Where does that money go? Yeah. So you could easily say that. And so I would like people to be pleasantly surprised after the fact as opposed to having a preconceived notion of what $50,000 movie means. Although these days you can do a lot with stuff. I mean, that's kind of the benefit. I mean, I'll hopefully the way things are set up, that, that uh, whatever preconception you might have about a $50,000 movie that Patterson's Wager kind of dispels that, maybe. I don't know. 
I wouldn't have guessed fifty fifty one thousand uh, dollars when I saw it. I mean, act, I mean, really, it's actors. I mean, that's when you, I think that's kind of you get good actors in there and established actors who know what they're doing, and they just they bring this presence. I mean, that's that's I think that's one of the big things that kind of differentiates too is that you get some independent films. They don't have the the best acting, or maybe they have some good actors and they don't have other ones, mm-hmm. and you just have one bad performance, and it ruins it ruins everything. Like you need, really need to make sure everyone's on the same page, and that's. That's a really key thing. That's, I, mean, I, I know not everyone's going to like Patterson's Wager. That's, that's totally cool. But I know the people who do like it, that they do seem to respond to, to that. The quality of the performances. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Well, I, I think uh, you have anything else that I think I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for talking hardcore logo. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for making a cool movie. Thank you. Thanks for uh, saying that. I'm going to use that as a pull quote. <laughs> Come to Canada. A cool movie. Cool movie. <laughs> okay, well, we hope uh, you'll join us again, Corbin. We'll talk about other sure. uh, Canadian movies, or um, I don't know, maybe maybe someday we'll do a different project that's not Canadian-centric. But it'd be good to talk to you again about movies. Yeah. Uh, you getting bored with the Canadian movies, man? I, I wouldn't say bored, but uh, you know, sometimes you need a break. So. <laughs> All right, but if you're not bored with Canadian movies, check out our, the rest of our content at filmedincanada.net or, uh, or send Alexander an email at filmedincanada at gmail.com. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't even read the emails, so why do you care if we get them or not? Well, I was trying to, ex- I was trying to like, exercise some like, reverse psychology. You know? so if people, oh, okay. If people, if people know... We don't give a fuck about your emails. Yeah, then maybe then suddenly they'll... Because, you know, you don't, you don't invite trolling comments. They just come, right? <laughs> so if, we, if we don't invite positive emails, maybe they'll come. <laughs> that actually is true I've thought about how I should stop talking about how we need more emails because it sounds pretty pathetic <laughs> <laughs> alright okay then that's it for today thank you thanks